Welcome to episode 47 of the GT on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Angel Sag. So let's get started with my first topic. This week, AT&T announced plans to bridge the digital divide in the United States. It's a commitment of over $2 million and really involves three areas. One, it's um, investing um, incrementally in um, expanding um, networks in areas that are underserved and underpopulated. It also involves subscriber subsidies. And, uh, and finally, um, they are also providing no cost educational content through its Warner Media division. And so the timing's interesting. You know, we spoke about T-Mobile last week with their hometown experts and heroes programs with grants for small communities and that sort of thing, as well as their fixed wireless access service. Um, I was actually asked to provide a quote, you know, within the AT&T press release. And I think it's a great step in the right direction. So um, there needs to be, you know, concrete investment in these areas um, in order to bridge the digital divide. And the benefit for that, it's almost like raising the water level, you know, for the entire country. It's gonna drive economic prosperity and uh, improvements in GDP. So I'm wondering what your take is on uh, this latest news from AT&T. I mean, I think it's a welcome announcement. Um, I think it's important uh, for a lot of reasons, but I also do think that it's it might be influenced um, by some of the things that T-Mobile has been doing. Um, and I think it's good if we have operators competing for who will offer the best um, solution to bridge the digital divide that we have. Because mm -hmm. I, I think uh, it having that kind of a bridge and that kind of a gap sets up big portions of the country to just not be as successful. And we just don't want that. We want everybody to have equal access and equal opportunity. So I think it's a good thing if, if you know, the operators are competing with each other to improve access. Yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm interested, you know, US Cellular has not weighed in. They predominantly have a footprint in rural America. So I would expect news from them. And Verizon, you know, we haven't heard from Verizon as, at all. And, you know, one of the things that Verizon speaks to is just, you know, it's uh, at least in a 4G world, you know, it's coverage area and it's reliability and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, obviously, you know, Verizon has some, some huge gaps to overcome with 5G with respect to expanding their footprint beyond their ultra wideband millimeter wave deployment and, you know, starting to deploy those C-band, you know, kind of upper mid-band spectrum assets, um, which will take some time as well. I'm going to talk a little bit more about um, Verizon later in the podcast, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how those two operators respond to the T-Mobile AT&T um, you know, bar being set there for rural America. Let's move into your first topic this week. And you want to talk about Qualcomm and Ericsson and um, carrier aggregation in MIMO. Yeah, so uh, these are two different announcements, but they're both fairly technical, um, smaller announcements in terms of moving forward with 5G connectivity. Uh, the first one is that Qualcomm was able to uh, do some 5G data calls over um, dual connectivity and standalone, combining millimeter wave with sub six spectrum. And this was using their X60 modem. So it's basically the 
actually this was x65 the x60 is the other modem that was in the other test um but basically what it does is that it um allows for the fdd and tdd low band to be combined with millimeter wave to improve millimeter wave coverage improve bandwidth and utilize millimeter wave for downlink while using mid-band and low-band for uplink. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be something we're going to see a lot of in the future. Um, mm -hmm. But this is something that needs to be proven out. Um, the capability has been there. The X65 is their top end. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But uh, the good thing is that it, it's going to improve coverage and speeds. And that's going to be a big deal for companies like Verizon, T-Mobile, and AT&T who are going to be combining multiple 5G bands together. Um, addition to that, there was an Ericsson announcement around Uplink, and that was with the X60 and Ericsson's equipment. Uh, they were able to get 315 megabits per second Uplink, which is a big deal because that's a lot faster than what we've seen in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and with these wider bands, uh, the mid band, this was tested at 3.7, uh, 100 megahertz. Uh, you're going to be able to get a lot more uplink out of the mid band. So there's, that's an added benefit. I think a lot of people are maybe not aware of. Mm -hmm. um, but what's going to be good is that improving uplink will um, improve the overall user experience because a lot of, you know, applications like what we're doing today right now with video mm -hmm. uh, are very dependent on a stable uplink connection, especially upload speed as, as we do more videos. So I think showing that there are big improvements to uplink is gonna move things a lot forward faster mm -hmm. than if we just focus on downlink, which has been a traditional focus for the consumer for the most part. But because people are generating so much user content, uploading so much today, having those faster uplinks actually improves network performance overall because now you don't have people sitting on the uplink and, and taking you know, spectrum and capacity while they're waiting for those uploads to happen. Right, yeah, you know, and Qualcomm's been doing quite a bit on improving the propagation of millimeter wave, right? And so, you know, this, this isn't a surprise to me. Um, they'll be conducting, Qualcomm will be conducting their 5G summit next month and you and I will be attending that. And I'm sure we'll be sharing our insights on a future podcast as well, but um, great updates, buddy. Let, let me move to my second topic this week. And I wanna talk about Vodafone. So Vodafone became the first operator in Europe to launch 5G standalone. Um, they've done this in Germany. Um, I'm not surprised when you look at, you know, the German economy and the automobile industrial complex there and the promise of 5G really to bring you know, lots of efficiencies from a digitalization perspective into the, uh, the automobile manufacturing arena. But certainly, you know, Germany is a very technology forward country, certainly probably um, one of the strongest in Europe. So, you know, it kind of begs the question, will, you know, sort of first to standalone for Vodafone give it a competitive advantage, much like T-Mobile in the United States was first to standalone? What's your take on that? I think being first to standalone is not necessarily um, that critical. Mm -hmm. At least not we're not seeing the benefits of that today. However, I do believe that having standalone is super important. 
Uh, and I think having it sooner means that you're going to be able to test a lot of these new use cases mm-hmm. and enable a lot of these new, new, new use cases a lot more quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that has been missing uh, from the market because without standalone, I just don't see a lot of application developers, um, device makers really wanting to optimize for it specifically. Yeah. And that means that you're, you know, you have another chicken and egg problem. So mm-hmm. I think every operator needs to have standalone as soon as possible mm-hmm. um, because I think we need critical mass in terms of deployment to really move things forward because otherwise people are going to start thinking 5G is stagnating because there aren't, you know, unique killer use cases for 5G. And it's like, well, we can't have killer use cases without standalone. Till we get there, yeah. And so, like, my two thoughts are: number one, yeah. So, standalone provides the true promise of 5G from a latency and a throughput perspective, marrying that core 5G core with 5G uh, radio access. Um, so, you know, potentially that provides you know better performance uh, and meets that maybe that 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 expectation that consumers have had for 5G. And maybe that that helps drive some maybe short-term incremental subscriber ads, you know, and, and ARPU lift. Um, I think the other opportunity um, is around um, network slicing and the monetization. So you really can't, you know, get to network slicing until you get to standalone, right? So that might give Vodafone some first mover advantage with respect to you know, slicing that public network and, and being able to monetize that. But, but you're right. I mean, eventually all carriers will catch up, you know, and time will tell, for example, in the U.S., you know, if that's really going to enable a competitive advantage with T-Mobile and with Vodafone. But um, I thought it was interesting news to report on, you know, given Definitely. that they are the first to essay in Europe. So let's move to your second topic this week. And you want to talk about UCLA. And it just seems like, you know, almost every month, you know, you know, one carrier is rated the fastest, right? So Ookla had some news to share uh, with respect to uh, T-Mobile, right? Yeah, so this is a report for Q1, which is different from the reports we saw, which were Q4. Mm-hmm. Um, that last report basically had all the carriers in a dead heat uh, with each carrier getting uh one reporting company to give them, you know, top marks for being the fastest. Uh, This time it's Ookla uh, and they are giving T-Mobile the crown. Um, They say that T-Mobile has a median 5G download speed of 82.35 megabits per second, which beats AT&T's 76.6 and Verizon's 67.2, which makes sense. Uh, because T-Mobile has been rolling out its mid-band very aggressively nationwide, and that should increase the average, well, in this case, median um, 5G test result, because there's going to be a lot more results in the 300s, 400s, 500s, thanks to the mid-band. So I expect that this will be a point where T-Mobile will maintain its lead in fastest 5G network for the foreseeable future. Um, I think that we'll probably see Verizon start to catch up to them next year. 
Um, even though the Verizon will have mid-band towards the end of this year, I think that rollout is probably not going to be as aggressive as T-Mobile's. Um, so I think you will, it'll probably won't be until Q2 or Q3 of next year until we really see Verizon starting to catch up with T-Mobile. And obviously AT&T in the, is kind of in the same boat. Um, so I think we'll probably get a full year of T-Mobile being the fastest 5G network from here on out. Um, and I think that's going to be probably for the, you know, UCLA report at least. Um, there was a root metrics report that did come out earlier in the week. I was going to uh, mention that. And right. And, and they, they and, spoke to T-Mobile being having the best coverage, but that AT&T yes. had the best download speeds and, and reliability, right? Yeah, exactly. So those, and this is why we have multiple testing organizations. And that's why we always like to, um, you know, ensure that we cover all of these announcements because there are different methodologies. Um, but that said, I think Rootmetrics is, is going to have to eventually give T-Mobile the crown as well, um, simply because they're going to have mid-band everywhere and like the math is just going to support that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, reliability is always an interesting discussion um, and coverage is, you know, that's already been set. And that's not going to change for a very long time. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see how these things develop in the long term. But um, I think we're going to see AT&T and Verizon especially playing a lot of catch up over the next year. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. You know, you know, from a coverage perspective, you know, T-Mobile just has the most complete spectrum footprint. We've talked about that on prior podcasts, but, you know, C-Band will help close the gap, you know, with AT&T and Verizon. But to your point that'll take some time for them to deploy that. So good stuff. So let me talk about my third and final topic. And this week Verizon announced uh, a hyper precise positioning platform um, to assist with uh, intelligent driving. Um, so intelligent driving, autonomous driving, I sort of interpret this as the telemetry that's gonna be needed to support safe autonomy in the future. Um, it's going to be a combination of different modalities. It's likely going to be very low power, LoRaWAN type, you know, solutions, but also definitely is going to leverage LTE and 5G. And um, the big kind of critique that I have with this is that um, Verizon's 5G network has been very, very initially focused on ultra wideband, which is millimeter wave, which is concentrated in just a few major metro areas. And so, and not that 5G is going to support all of the, uh, the needs for, for road telemetry, but mm -hmm. um, from my perspective, uh, that's a big gap in my mind. And, and certainly, you know, a carrier like T-Mobile that's got, you know, low, mid and high band would be better positioned to do that. I think you will hear about, you know, in the future, um, about T-Mobile's expansion of their, their IoT platform. We've spent some time with executives recently, nothing that we can share right now, but certainly when you look at what Sprint was doing prior to the acquisition with Curiosity in that platform, um, it was very sort of you know, small to mid-market focused. Um, it'll be interesting to see how T-Mobile, again, leverages its unique footprint from a spectrum possession or position to, um, to, to support something like Verizon just announced this week. So, you know, any, any additional thoughts on your part? 
Yeah, I feel like some of this IoT play that Verizon is pushing might actually leverage millimeter wave mm -hmm. um, to prove out the you know hyper precise location accuracy. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that would be very limited, like you said, in terms of footprint. Mm -hmm. um, and IoT is not necessarily one of those technologies where uh, having a small footprint is an advantage. Right. Um, so I, I would say that this would absolutely have to be very dependent on coverage. And that's definitely a fair criticism of that because um, Verizon's going to be, you know, catching up on coverage for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have a long road for, for them to improve that. And I think them acquiring their mid-band for C-band is going to obviously help that a lot. But mm -hmm. even their attitude towards that makes me question whether or not they will really have the kind of 5G coverage uh, that people have come to expect from Verizon with it, what, the, what, what they have with 4G. So mm -hmm. um I don't really know what's going to happen there. Maybe they're going to flip the switch on their 4G earlier than I think a lot of people expected and possibly move uh, you know, their 4G customers to bands that are not as good in terms of coverage. Um, that's obviously not a great look for them uh, and I'm sure will anger a lot of customers, but they have to figure out this coverage situation somehow. And um, they seem to be, continually putting out these mixed messages about what they're going to do and what they need to do. Um, and I'm not really sure what will happen there, but um, ultimately you're right that IOT does need coverage. And it's a very, it's a very confusing announcement considering the state of their, their network today. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and there, there's a lot of IOT that can operate very well on an LTE network. And so I'm not saying that 5G is end all be all, but you know, what 5G will do, will it'll be able to support the scale of devices from low power to, you know, much higher powered, you know, um, you know, type devices that are, that are more video oriented and that sort of thing. So you know, it's it's sort of an, an investment protection thing for for the long haul. So it'll be interesting to see how it rolls out. Um, let's move to your third and final topic this week. And um, the national parks in the United States plan to roll out 5G. It sounds pretty interesting to me. I mean, honestly, like I'm in Colorado this week, thus, you know, the, the beanie cap I'm wearing. Um, when I get out to Rocky Mountain National Park, I don't necessarily want to get on my smartphone, but would love to hear your insights and what you think, you know, the applications could be here. Sure. So I am the guy who likes to take his phone with him everywhere he goes, including I know. in the, the middle of nowhere. <laughs> exactly. Uh, one, to figure out whether there's coverage and what the speeds are like, but also to be able to upload photos and videos. Right. Um, and maybe occasionally watch some content. Don't ask. Um, <laughs> but the, the reality is, is, there, there's, a, there's an ISP called Access Parks who works with the National Park Service, and they are planning to roll out a private 5G network uh, roll, deployment uh, with CBRS Spectrum to essentially, one, improve access to coverage and bandwidth in national parks. Uh, they've already rolled out nine locations uh, including the uh, South Ridge of the Grand Canyon. Um, and the idea is that they are very likely to 
open their private network to the operators to give them roaming capabilities so that the operators do not need to make the investment or build out the infrastructure and can simply roam on this network mm -hmm. and pay them for that roaming data, um, which is probably a big portion of what their business model will likely be. Right. Um, but it's interesting because I do think that there is a big connectivity gap um, in national parks. And from my experience, there's a good amount of national parks here in San Diego. And uh, every time I go there, coverage is real bad. Mm -hmm. And um, it could be better. And I do think that, you know, having a partner um, that is familiar with the national parks like Access Parks can really work quickly to roll out, um, you know, spectrum and band and, and coverage that is needed in the parks that doesn't leave too much of a footprint, right? Because part of the idea of having a national park is to minimize our footprint on nature. Exactly. And I think having a really thoughtful deployment from a company that knows what they're doing um, will, will, will benefit everybody, right? Because people will get better coverage. And I think it's a safety thing too, because you know, if somebody gets hurt, um, having a phone on you with good coverage means that you can get to somebody quickly. And I'm sure the national parks are absolutely all about having better coverage because that ultimately will mean that one more people will probably come out and then they can avoid, uh, you know, bigger problems in the future with, with injuries and other kinds of, uh, potentially life endangering injuries, because I know they happen. I've seen it. And, um, I think the faster you can get to people and know where they are, um, you reduce the incidence of death, which I, which I know is one of their biggest concerns with, in terms yeah. of public safety. No, it definitely is. You know, I, I actually purchased a Garmin device. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it links to Iridium satellites. Uh, it's a $400 device that I, when I, when I do go hike in uh, Rocky Mountain National Park that I have to activate, service is quite expensive. But, but so that is a game changer, I agree with you. Uh, the other aspect that I think about is uh, wildlife and forestry management and the capability to deploy a network, a 5G network, and be able to use um, you know, drones and these sorts of things to monitor potential you know, hazards with respect to wildfires and this sort of things and ecology and all of that. Totally. Um, that could be a total game changer you know, I've talked about ag tech on prior podcasts as well. So I think looking beyond um, Anshul uploading, you know, the, the, the videos and of, of the drone flights and that sort of thing, when, he, when you're in the parks, um, there's some- They are banned in national parks, by the way. But, well, that's good to hear. <laughs> but, but there are definitely some practical applications, like you said, from not only a public safety perspective, but from an ag tech perspective. So- Hey, you know, another great conversation this week, buddy. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Willtown Tech and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.